Should the Phillies be concerned about a post-pennant hangover? I think you always have to worry about it. Ranger Suarez has had a, an elbow issue, too, as part of their rotation. He's their number three starter. But, you know, I still look at that lineup, and they have enough to get by until Harper comes back. Harper's going to be back probably at the end of May. Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, GT Riamuto, Castellanos is going to have, a, I think, a better year. Alec Baum's going to have a big year. So I'm not as worried about the Phillies in terms of them being there. I think they're not being there. I think they're going to be in the mix just like the Mets just like the Braves, although I still think the Braves are the best team in the East. All right, Elise, Iglesias injured. Vaughn Grissom didn't make the opening day roster. Vegas thinks that the Atlanta Braves, like Jim Duquette, are the queer favorites in the NL East. Do you think the Braves are the clear-cut favorites in the NL East? I don't think there is a clear-cut favorite in the NL East. I think you could... Disagreeing with Vegas, huh? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a betting woman, but I'm just, I think that's kind of the facts this year. You could go with Philly, uh, Braves, or the Mets. And I think I agree with what Jim said about Philly. And with the Braves, I mean, it's all about depth in the regular season, right? And the stars showing up in the postseason. The Braves have depth. So, But I think that right now Philly might have the edge over the Braves. I do like the Braves as the favorite guys, but I am perplexed by the Vaughn Grissom sending down. Like, if they weren't 100% sure that this guy was their shortstop of the immediate future, then why did they let Dansby Swanson go? Very good player, aggressive winner. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 26th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram. Talking Mets, no G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Welcome to the end of the Grapefruit League. The dog days of spring have ended. We have our final Grapefruit League edition of the program. Really will serve as a season preview. The Mets open up at about 4 o'clock on Thursday. And the 2023 baseball season is here. The journey now begins for real. Joining me today, first time with us on the show, you may know him, you may know him from The Athletic, he covers the Mets, Mets beat reporter up there with uh, Tim Britton, Will Salmon, Will Salmon will be joining us and we'll get a perspective from somebody who has spent a little time in that clubhouse and uh, been around the team this spring, so should be a lot of fun as we preview the 2023 Mets. So where are we at? Uh, The roster pretty much appears set. News just coming down, and I come to you in the middle of the Mets' uh, final spring game here against the Marlins about midday here on a Sunday. So the news came down earlier. Danny Mendick was sent down to AAA. There is some thought that the final roster spot will come down to Tim Castro and Darren Ruff. Uh, I'm not sure if that means that there's some kind of deal for Ruff. Maybe the Mets are looking to deal Ruff. I still uh, believe that uh, Ruff will be on the the roster and be the platoon partner for... uh, the designated hitter spot. I know that makes a lot of you guys angry. I know that there was a lot of talk on social media after it was announced last night that both 
Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos were sent down. Uh, look, the roster has kind of played out almost exactly as we talked about. I mean, there wasn't much of a positional uh, battle here with the, I mean, LaCastro, to his credit, at least gives management something to think about with him as playing that Jankowski role last year, coming in for running, and, you know, he could steal a base right up there. You know, he he's not Jankowski. He's way better than Jankowski. He's probably more like Terrence Gore. I mean, I think Gore might be a little bit more of a uh, of a of a base stealer, but you know, I had cited some stats when LaCastro played somewhat on a regular basis with Arizona. He was an elite base runner based on advanced advanced metrics. So, you know, something to think about there. The bullpen, you know, we know about the Diaz injury, so that allows uh, Dennis Santana to make it. it Might have been Brigham. He was sent down. Uh, Robertson, Adovino, Rayleigh, Drew Smith, John Curtis, Tommy Hunter was announced as making the club, as we suspected with the way he's pitched. Steven Nagosik, Dennis Santana. Nobody has options that you could send down except for Curtis. So it'll be interesting how that plays out when they want to bring up or shuttle some kind of starter. Uh, that's, I guess, a decision they could have for another day. Look, you could pass a Nagosik or a Santana through waivers when the season starts. Might make more sense and see if they, uh, you know, they have to, I believe, accept the assignment too. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. And, and and quite honestly, who knows, unless they pitch lights out, those two guys might not be around uh, that, that much longer as the season uh, uh, gets underway and, and gets deeper into the season. So uh, before we get to Will Salmon, I know that the big conversation, and there was some thought that maybe Beatty, with his performance this spring, might have pushed his way on the roster. I see Mets fans a little bit angry as the the Yankees took Anthony Volpe North, the young kid, uh, one of their top prospects to play short, who earned that position with the way he played this spring. And and honestly, uh, different place, different situation, unlike the Yankees, who had no clear uh, veteran that was impactful. I know they had Kiner Falafa uh, uh, over there in in, uh, in the Bronx, but I don't really think he's on the same level as Eduardo Escobar. Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos, unlike Pete Alonso from a few years ago, absolutely were blocked by veterans that not only had a resume, uh, and, and, and a resume where both rough against left-handed pitching as well as Escobar as an everyday player have hit at a high level. Uh, but they, uh, tons of question marks they had coming in. You know, they were not, maybe Beatty, but not so much Vientos, were the top prospect in the organization like an Alvarez or so on and so forth. And the difference is when Pete Alonso came in, he hit the tar out of the ball, earned the spot, but there was no veteran in front of him that was a no-brainer. Now, if this was a Mets club not poised to compete for a championship, uh, it might be a little bit different. They would have probably went out. They probably would have tried to find a taker for Escobar, maybe even this offseason. Uh, same thing maybe with Ruff. Maybe they absorb the salary. They send them on their, on on his way. A way to get the kids into the lineup for a team that's rebuilding. That's not the kind of team they are. And here's the challenge you have with the whole situation. And you can only do it one way. First, both those guys played really well, but they hit very well in the Grapefruit League against mainly players who, let's face it, most were not going to be in the big leagues ever. Yeah, the WBC, which interrupted the spring, Pete Alonso didn't have that when he mashed the Grapefruit League back in 2019. And it really wasn't only until the last week to 10 days where, if you you know, want to quote Eric Chavez, Beatty had this epiphany about his defense. Where and Actually, I told you last Sunday, I thought he looked really good. And that's a very small sample size. So 
both of those guys could go down to AAA, continue to do what they do, realize that it's a long season. And for the Mets, it gives them a chance to see what they have left with these two veterans. Because if they're wrong, if they let these guys go, and then Beatty's not ready, and here we are 10 days in the season, he's making errors all over the place, hitting a buck 75, or Vientos is a 4A player that can only hit home runs against mediocre pitching in the Grapefruit League. You have no veterans to fall back on. You're not going to go out and get another Darren Ruff. You're not going to go out and get another Eduardo Escobar in April. You could try. You could maybe go over the scrap heap and the waiver wire. But, you know, the upside of those kind of players is not that of what those two guys and what their resume uh, is right now. And if you can find a team willing to potentially dump a veteran, it's going to cost you a ton. And already you're looking at the potential of having to go out and get a bullpen arm, maybe a closer as the season goes on because of the injury to Edwin Diaz. So there's only one way to go here. You have to give these two veterans a chance to prove that they have nothing left. Let the guys go down to AAA. And who knows, maybe you have a really great problem on your hand come Memorial Day where Beatty's hitting the tar out of the ball down in AAA. Viento's hitting the tar out of the ball down in AAA. Escobar is doing Escobar things, providing really good run production down in the seventh spot, down in the order. Ruff is doing his thing versus left-handed pitching uh, and giving you what he gave the San Francisco Giants when they won 107 games a couple of years ago. And now you got too many answers for a few problems, and that's a good place to be. And I 100% support the way Billy Epler and this staff went about it. I have no problems with it. I don't understand anybody who's angry is is not really looking at the big picture, the length of the season, the risk association, uh, the words that Billy Epler has used about how options are a big thing, and knowing how Epler is a guy, like at the blackjack table, like at the roulette table, who plays probabilities, he wasn't going to play a probability where these kids were ready day one. He wants to see them play a little bit down at AAA in a more normalized environment that the Grapefruit League is never going to be. And then maybe uh, come June 1st, here's an opportunity for Beatty or Vientos to come up. If you ask me who's more likely to come up sooner, it will be Vientos. Because I think they'll cut the cord on Ruff quicker than they cut the cord on Escobar. I think Escobar gets a lot of leash. I think Escobar, it would it, they, they may not cut the cord with him until the All-Star break. Um, I think that might be a problem with the fan base. But I think Escobar gets a lot of rope to hang himself here. Plus... Unlike Ruff, Escobar has, I mean, unlike uh, 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 Ruff, unlike Escobar, he doesn't have that kind of versatility. He can play a little first, maybe play a corner. Escobar, in theory, can play short and second up the middle, play third, DH. Maybe he proves to be uh, rough right-handed, where they then, at that point, Vientos would be the odd man out and bring up Beatty. So I think it really depends. I think if you told me who's more likely not to produce, it'd be Ruff. And Vientos would be an easy guy to slide in and take those at-bats. But we'll see. And that's why it's a long season. And that's why, as you all know, and I know some of you tweet at me, say you're annoyed by the whole thing, we go through the three phases of the season, the getting-to-know-you phase, what kind of team this is. Then you have the, you know, what-do-they-need phase as you lead up to the all, you know the trade deadline, all-star break into the trade deadline, and then it's just let's go out and go get them. And right now what we think they need here in April as we start the season may not be the needs that are true come the trade deadline at the beginning of August. So, you know, that's where we're at. The roster is pretty much set. You know, maybe there'll be some kind of transaction with Ruff before the week is out. I have a feeling that Ruff is going to make the roster. The Castro is going to go down and maybe clear waivers. Who knows? And, and, and away you go. Now, 
what do I see with the 2023 Mets? Uh, I, I want to prepare you because I think this is a good team and I think this is a playoff team. But unlike last year where they had the the makeshift spring training, what was it, a couple of weeks, and they just jumped into the season and really just jumped on the league and got off to a hot start, got a double-digit lead in the NL East, and then even though they didn't win the division, spent a good part of the summer playing at a high level. It was just they got steamrolled by a team playing at an all-time historic level in the Atlanta Braves, and they lost out with a couple of stub-your-toe series down the stretch. Um, I don't see them getting out to that kind of start this year. I think there's some things that are different this year. Um, I think first off the offense, which hasn't hit a hell of a lot this spring. And, you know, I'll start with the fan base there. Um, I think the offense is going to be interesting because the fan base is coming down from the Correa non-signing. Ever since the Correa non-signing, all that high that was built up through the holidays and the signing of Verlander and Nimmo and Robertson and all the things that the Mets did has really been a slow slide down to maybe some cautious optimism, borderlining paranoia by the fan base because you had the Correa non-signing, then you had Diaz get hurt. Offense hasn't really performed great this spring, although have you really seen these guys all in one shot together? Not really. And... When you look at this offense, I think what bothers a lot of the fans, and and this is where the pitching and the bullpen is just so important, and that's where there's some big question marks without Diaz, without Bassett. This is an offense that's not a bully offense. It's not the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves against a bad team are going to go out, club a couple of three-run homers, put the uh, the starter uh, for an early shower, and they'll probably win the game 10-2. to The Mets against a bad team will beat that team and maybe beat up on that starter, but they may, you know, walk here, a hit batsman here, a double there, you know, a, a line drive in the gap here, maybe a Pete Alonzo home run, and they'll win that game 6-2, 6-3. You know, they're still going to score above the league average in runs, and they're still going to be a good offensive team, but they're going to do it less sexy. Um, it's the equivalent of, you know, old school, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust NFL team versus a modern team that, you know, throws 60-yard bombs. Like, uh, you know, the greatest show on turf, like the the Rams used to be, the St. Louis Rams back at the turn of the century. So the Mets are an offense that is not sexy. And I think Correa would have brought a little bit of that sexy to the offense. And when he, but him not being part of that equation, they're back to being the same offense as last year. A lot of people feel that it's an offense doomed to fail. They have a bad taste in their mouth from the San Diego series. Look, Padres threw out Darvish, they threw out Musgrove. These are good pitchers. These are guys, these are top 10 pitchers in baseball. Anybody could have been beat by them, but I understand, you know, you guys as a fan base wanted to see more, and what you feel as the offense came back is par, and that's where I think a lot of the anger about Beatty and Vientos going down, and again, that doesn't mean they, they can be brought up next week after a week, after 10 days, like, they're not gone forever, they didn't release them, um, you know, there is going to be a, a certain amount of, uh, when you start to look at the pitching, uh, guys feeling themselves out. You know, Verlander hasn't looked great his last couple of starts. Yes, I know it's spring training, but is he, you know, building up a little bit at his age? Um, Senga, you know, we don't know. We went in, one of the big questions going into the Grapefruit League that we talked about all the way on our Pitchers and Catchers show was, you know, can Kodai Senga be more of a guy that shows you top-of-the-rotation performance so that he becomes a number three with number one and or two 
you know, outings like Bassett? Or is a guy that's going to give you a dazzling outing and then give you more number four, number five, five innings, three run outings, have bad command days, high pitch counts, you know, games that you don't you, you dip it into the bullpen maybe in the fifth inning, fourth, fifth inning. We haven't had that an answer to that question. I mean, he's looked okay, uh, still to be determined, and you know that to me is a big part of this rotation because. With Chris Bass in the rotation, I feel it's on par to last year. With Senga being more number four, number five, I think the rotation has taken a hit. There is no Quintana now right now, and I think Quintana's season is going to be watched. And look, the Mets bringing in Dylan Bundy tells you basically they want depth, and he's going to get a chance to make starts here because he didn't come and, and take a minor league deal. Now, yeah, he's got to stretch himself out. He's admitted that. He's got to go down to the Syracuse and do that. But he's going to have an opt-out date. And on that opt-out date, if he feels, hey, I'm at least the pitcher, that back end of the rotation, number five type guy, nothing special, even though he was a high, highly touted prospect, number one type pick, top, you know, what, top prospect in the game maybe at one point. Here's a guy that, you know, could give you serviceable innings potentially the back half of the rotation. You know, he's not going to stay in Syracuse all year. So either they don't believe in Peterson, maybe they didn't like what they see from McGill, and I didn't, so I'm clear, clearly believe they they didn't, or they're looking to go for a six-man rotation. You know, Bundy coming in tells you a lot about their thoughts of what they could get out of Quintana, and maybe their concerns with the Peterson and McGill and the consistency. Because quite honestly, I can't see why David Peterson, even a mediocre David Peterson, probably is just as good, if not better, than Dylan Bundy at this point. I mean, I know, look, what is there to lose? It's a minor league deal. And then you go to the bullpen, and the bullpen is is much better than it was a year ago. But the best way I could talk about the bullpen, it's like an NBA team that's a really good NBA team without a star. It's like the team that you know. If you were right now look at this bullpen, you would say, and you forget that you know that you know Diaz is hurt. You would say, hey, I like the Mets bullpen. They really need an elite closer. Well, they had him. He's out for the year. You know, so that's where the bullpen is, and the bullpen is going to be have to be managed. The bullpen is going to be about matchups. It's going to be about utilizing these guys correctly, not overusing guys. You know, how often do they have to dip into that early with you know the back end of that rotation with guys like Carrasco and Senga uh, and Peterson? Can they at least get you into the sixth inning? Because I think the the more you have to dip into that bullpen, especially because you're down an elite closer the more likely when you get the length and you ha- need those high leverage outs late in the ball games you might have you know some guys overused so you know there's the to me the offense is about where it is i mean whether you have rough comeback with Beatty, the depth you have in those positions assuming that the guys in other spots guys that you really can't replace like alonzo like mcneil like marte like nemo stay healthy you know you have options in the stu- in the parts of the offense you don't like you have options in Beatty and Vientos and maybe even Alvarez at some point where you'll be able to figure it out. You'll be able to get that offense, even though you might not not like the sexiness of it and it may frustrate you at times with brownouts, they'll score enough. I don't think that's going to be their problem. I don't know if the starting pitching will give them enough, and the bullpen might be a closer short. I mean, let's face it. They didn't blow any games and lose any games when they blew them last year with Diaz at the helm. That's probably going to happen this year. When's the last gut punch loss this team had? What, did they have that one out in San Francisco when they lost the next innings last year? I think Diaz might have blown that save. That was really it. They really didn't have any gut-punching losses where you said they should have won that game. Maybe a couple of games where they, the comeback fell short. But, it, but they were more likely providing gut-punch losses the other way. 
So they may have to take some of those proverbial bullets this year. Um, I think they'll get off to an okay start. I don't think they're going to be gangbusters. I think they're going to hover around 500 early, and I think this season will be determined by how certain questions get answered, and it may take some time. Saying it may take six, seven, eight weeks to get going, to get a feel of this thing. You know, you may not know the lineup and the stability of the lineup until this whole Beatty, Vientos, Escobar, rough thing, or if it's not rough in the lineup, maybe it's Tommy Pham, you know, how this all plays out. You may not know at this point. Um, and then it might require some reinforcements. You truly, even though you th- would think after a 101-win season, a lot of the same guys coming back, that the old getting-to-know-you phase here that we talk about wouldn't be as difficult as you would think. It really is actually more complicated than it was a year ago because there's actually more questions this time than there was last year. I mean, you knew what you had. And, yeah, the ground was out. But you knew what you had in Sergio. You knew what you had in Bassett. You knew what you had in Walker. You knew what you had with Carrasco. For the most part, you knew the bullpen guys. You didn't know how good Diaz was going to be, but you got you knew that he'd be a really good closer that might frustrate you. He just didn't. He was a really good closer that didn't frustrate you. Uh, maybe okay, Adovino. Maybe he overperformed a little bit, but you knew he was solid coming out of the pen. Um, you know, now you have a lot of questions there. You have questions with Senga. You have questions about how this bullpen's going to work without Diaz. And you have questions about the offense, even though you have some good solutions in terms of your uh, your kids and whatnot. So uh, to me, buckle up, because I think it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride early. And I think it's going to be a season where there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. And, and really, I think this is, as a veteran team, going to be a team that the best case scenario and the way that they manage this, whether it be Buck or Billy Epler, is they're going to play the long game. So you may see them take one or two steps back early to take four steps forward in August. And you're going to have to have the stomach to deal with that because sometimes that's frustrating. And as you heard coming in, you know, they're in a division that's tough. You know, the Braves are tough. They got, uh, you know, they got themselves one of the best catchers in the game and, and, and a real solid addition with Sean Murphy. Philly's coming off a pennant. Yeah, they lost Reese Hoskins. They don't have Bryce Harper for a couple of months, but they still have enough offense and they have a couple of elite pitchers at the top of the rotation. Bullpen might be a little bit better, although I don't like Kimbrell. Um, you know, it's... Playing a balanced schedule now, so you're not going to be able to beat up on the Nats and the Marlins if the Marlins are as bad as everybody thinks. And I and I never thought the Marlins were going to be pushover anyway because of their pitching. So uh, you're not going to have those cushion games like you did last year. We could take a uh, breath and say, okay, I got three games at City Field against the Nats, and two of them are as bad pitchers. They should win those games. It's like almost like extended spring training. You have less of that because of the balanced schedule. So buckle up. It's going to be interesting. I do think this is a playoff team. I'm, I'll, you know, I'll give my prediction later on. Um, I, you know how I don't like predictions, so I'm not, you know, going to get too crazy on that. Uh, and I don't play that. You know, I don't play the predictions game. You know, you want to go to a gambling show, go to a gambling show. This ain't it. So anyway, um, let's take a quick break. When I come back, Will Salmon of the Athletic. Let's hear what his thoughts are about this team. He was around this team. I gave you kind of a breakdown of some of my, you know. Things that I feel like there's still a lot of questions to be answered. And I still feel that early on, it might be a little bumpy early on as this team tries to take form and shape and find themselves. Let's see if Will agrees with that. We'll talk about that and other Mets topics as we round out our final Grapefruit Roundup show right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark had a good camp um, as well. Uh, he's continued to actually improve defensively as well. Um, that was one of the things that when we when we met with them and we had Joey Core in the room so that he could uh, you know really reinforce the things that he was working with them um, on this spring. And uh, you know we were very uh, uh, deliberate um, with the things that they've uh, that they've achieved um, and the, the challenges that they've uh, um, you know that they've kind of overcome. Um, and so. Happy with uh, where they are, and um, you know they're just uh, we, you know told both of them that you know they're a phone call away uh, should something come up. Um, so uh, and they don't need something to happen at the major league level. Uh, they have the type of talent where they can push their way up here, um, but um, you know there's still some development objectives to uh, to reach. We're back and joining me. You guys know him. If you subscribe to The Athletic, Will Salmon writes for the Mets over there. Actually covered the Brewers as well, so he's got a lot of baseball experience. At Will Salmon on Twitter. And Will, welcome to the program. And you are wrapping up your first spring training with the New York Mets. So give us a feel of uh, the first spring training here, the team. And and now you've been with the, you know, covering the Mets for a while. So uh, welcome to the program and how you doing? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Enjoy the podcast. Um, yeah, man, it's been it's been fun. Um, I was struck originally by just the amount of star power in that clubhouse for the Mets. I think people kind of got used to it a little bit when they accumulated so many guys the year prior, and then they added people like Justin Verlander this past offseason. And I think people almost sort of take it for granted in some ways. But when you look around the room and you see the amount of star power that's there, you kind of do say to yourself, like, wow, there's a, there's a few Hall of, future Hall of Famers in this room, and um, they're still, like, really in their prime. And for somebody like me who grew up in Queens, you get kind of used to the idea of maybe, like, the Mets landing one of those type of guys who are, like, the future Hall of Famers uh, who are kind of past their prime. <laughs> that happened quite a bit in the past, I feel like. Uh, but this is so different where, like, you still have guys who are still at the top of their game. And so it's it's pretty refreshing, actually, when you walk around and you look around the room. And it's interesting, Will. You were you know you're in the clubhouse. You're covering the team. Obviously, the fan being outside that's a totally different situation. But after the Correa signing, non-signing, I've always felt like the fan base has not that they're negative, but their excitement has you know gone down a little bit. Then you have the Diaz injury. Now the news. I'm not surprised. Vientos Beatty starting AAA. And not that there's an overall arching negativity, but maybe it's either cautious optimism or a little bit of this harbinger of doom that you see. Now, again, maybe that's social media, um, but it's interesting. I, I, I've kind of felt that there's maybe a little less excitement than you would have expected, especially after the Diaz injury. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment from what I've seen, actually. And look, I don't really necessarily blame fans, right? They were taken for a roller coaster with Carlos Correa. That's disappointing when that doesn't happen. I mean, if you're a fan and if you're seeing that unfold, yeah, it's pretty damn disappointing. <laughs> and, and, like, you could understand, like, why they didn't do it and from a risk factor and all that stuff. 
And you could theorize, and from just an intellectual standpoint, you could say to yourself, okay, yeah, sure. If that's the way that they wanted to go with it, okay, I understand that. But when you're a fan, it's hard to separate the idea of, like, understanding that, but also being like, man, this is this sucks. Like, we just had this guy in the palm of our hand, now he's gone. And so that can be kind of hard um, to deal with, I think. Um, and then you, like you suggested, you have the Edwin Diaz injury, which, again, you could intellectually look at it and be like, okay, the guy pitches the one inning. Yes, you have to allocate more high leverage innings, and that's a thing. But it, it shouldn't be catastrophic to their chances. But you look at it, and it's, it's Edwin Diaz. And, and the guy, you knew that feeling when he came in the game or even when he was warming up or even in the seventh inning when it was a one- or two-run lead, you know the game is pretty much over if you get through the eighth inning. Um, if that's the way they were going to go with it in the ninth of Diaz. So, yeah, all those things, I think they contribute to that overall feeling. Uh, you know, it, it, it will come and go. I, I think if they start off hot, like, none of that will really matter. Um, and then even if they start off cold and if they lose a couple of games here early and they start to win in May, uh, like, all the stuff, like, it, it goes up and down, as you know, Mike. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. It is kind of a weird thing where, like, they – have some success last year. They win the 101 games. Obviously, they fall short in the playoffs, uh, but then they had a really busy winter. And then suddenly, like, things start to, like, like you suggested, it, it gets a little bit to the point where one thing happens, another thing happens, and then the feeling kind of is a little bit different. Uh, but I do suspect that come opening day, you see Max Scherzer take the mound, um, and especially if they end up getting hot, like I said, things, things will change as far as the way people feel. Absolutely. Will Salmon of The Athletic joining me. No truer words are said about the long season, the ebbs and flows of the season, than the news that came out. Uh, Beatty and Vientos are sent down to AAA. I'm not surprised. I understand. Look, Beatty did everything to earn a job in spring training. Unlike Pete Alonso a few years ago, he was bl- he's blocked by a veteran. Uh, I understand that you know fans don't like Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff didn't do anything after coming over from San Francisco. But both have a, a resume. Uh, I look at it where they've been pretty honest from the start. Billy Epler said, you know, options are important. Those two guys have options. And if they flop, then you have to go out and already you're probably going to be looking for some bullpen help at some point. You're going to have to overpay for a veteran right-handed DH or potentially a veteran third baseman or an infielder. So I don't have a problem with the move. Uh, I sense that, again, from a social media fan perspective, there's a lot of anger. But when you look from a team roster management perspective, other than the, hey, he earned a job, he did, baby, he improved, he's better defensively than I could have even thought in such a small span of time. I don't really have an issue with what went down uh, last night. No, neither do I. We know that from just the time that Billy Epler and his top front office folks have been in New York, they're going to take a pretty conservative approach when it comes to prospects, when it comes to hoarding their prospects, even then, uh, when they can make deals with them. When it comes to their, their development, they're going to be very careful with that. So none of that really surprised me. I mean, I remember, and I posted this on Twitter, like in January, Billy Upler told me like, hey, I see AAA as really important. I see it as a necessity. Some some people don't in baseball. Some people say like they look at their roster and once a guy gets to say AA and they advance through AA, they look at that prospect as, okay, he's pretty much major league ready. 
Um, the Mets seem to be a little bit different where they, they tend to value that AAA experience and they, they will provide you the cliches of, you know, there, there's that level for a reason type of thing. And Brett Beatty has played only a handful of games above AA. And so when I was looking at it, once the Correa stuff, once the Mets failed to sign Correa, I knew instantly that they were going to enter spring training with Eduardo Escobar as their third baseman. I think most people did, right? Um, Maybe to his credit, like you said, Mike, he he got better. And I think he got better than pretty much anybody could expect defensively. And kind of earned himself uh, at least a, a serious conversation about it. But you're right. Like, once they start to play around with it, uh, and once they add these guys, um, they put themselves in an interesting spot where they almost commit themselves to, like, they have to kind of do well or else there's some consequences. And also there's some consequences with development of these two guys, too, not just from a team perspective. Um, the thing with Vientos in particular, you're putting this guy in a situation, right? If he makes the team or if they put him on the team, you're looking at him basically as a weak side platoon at DH. And that means he's facing left-handed starting pitchers or coming off the bench as a pinch hitter. That they're not going to face lefties all that often. I haven't looked at you know the Marlins and who they trot out there. I don't know if they see Eric Lauer from the Brewers early on early on in the season. But regardless, like there's not going to be many of them. And so you're putting this guy in a situation where he's only playing occasionally as a young player, and he's not getting every day at bats and you don't know, like, it's already a very tough job to, to be in that situation as a veteran. And that's why we saw guys, whether it was J.D. Davis or Darren Ruff, it, people struggle with this. It, it's not easy. And so you're putting him in a really weird situation uh, by putting him on the roster as, like, your right-handed uh, DH when you firmly believe in Daniel Volkbach's ability to hit right-handers. So that, to me, th- those were really the two paths with Baby and Vientos where I saw neither one of them really making it unless there was an injury. And I think if I had to take a guess who we might see first, I think the rope with Escobar is going to be longer. Buck has spoke glowingly about him. Clubhouse guy, better resume, uh, even with the Mets. It was really big down the stretch. Ruff, not so much. Obviously, Ruff makes a lot less money. That plays into it. So, I mean, I think there'll be cries. Look, you you and I are, are sitting watching a game April 25th. Uh, Escobar's hitting 175, Ruff is hitting a buck 50. The cries are going to be loud. Does that mean that they're going to get cut the next day? No, but if I had to take a guess, more likely that Ruff goes down and Vientos gets brought up, uh, simply because I think that as a prospect that Vientos, uh, for whatever reason, the team views uh, you know a little bit down the pecking order versus Beatty, who could be a real impact player in the middle of that lineup at some point. Yeah, probably, it, because it's interesting, right? Like, what I said about Beatty and, like, proving not having the AAA reps, no, Vientos has. I mean, the Vientos, I've had people from the Mets tell me that. He's got nothing much really to prove there um, at this point. Like, what he's going to do is what he's going to do at that level, I feel like. Uh, maybe he can continue to, to crush pitchers there or whatever, but it, I don't think it really changes the conversation about him too much if he goes to AAA and has a – has a great April or something like I don't think that that really changes much so yeah I, I think that's valid what you said um the Mets also have other options too like on that 40-man roster like they, that roster is better than it was last year in terms of like the depth and like the second and third tier options where like you could go to even like a Danny Mendick if he doesn't break camp with the team right like you could go to him in a situation where maybe there's an injury to your infield 
Um, to me, I think he, he is a, somebody that the front office and the coaching staff really likes. And so they may look at him if there's a, a quick injury. Similar to like uh, catcher, too, with like the Alvarez situation with Francisco Alvarez. Um, all right, they have, uh, you know, friends who they signed last year, too. Like, they could go to him as well. Like, they have other guys on this. I mean, he's not on the 40-man roster, but you know what I'm saying. Like, they have options where they don't really have to go to the prospect immediately, even though in the scenario that you outlined, yes, fans would be clamoring for that to be the choice. Well, you, you mentioned depth, and they picked up a little bit of depth in Dylan Bundy uh, yesterday. Uh, I have to say, there's got to be an opt-out on that. And for them to bring a starter of, of that veteran caliber means, in my opinion, one of two things. Unless he totally bombs in Syracuse AAA, you're going to see him at some point. They're not going to just let him walk on an opt-out. Uh, two, maybe they're not as sold on Peterson and McGill. Don't really blame them on that, but I can't see how, even at his best, you know, Peterson probably is as good as what Bundy can give you. Or they're really serious about a six-man rotation. So uh, not a major move, but an interesting move late in spring training that may lead you to understand some of their thought process. Yeah, they're going to be really smart with their depth. I mean, they have to – they entered the season with, like, the amount of options for a reason. They feel like injuries are, are going to happen. And that's not a knock on anybody in their rotation. But, like, it's going to be there. Like, you're going to need guys. And the way they look at it, uh, the way most teams, if not all teams these days, look at it and the stats back this up and support this, like, you're going to need at least, like, eight to ten options that you feel pretty decent about. Um, not just like say five or six or seven. And when Quintana went down, clearly they were down one one of those guys, one of those options. And so you could say to yourself, okay, well, you know, McGill Peterson, um, their importance rises and it does. Uh, But then you're also looking further down the deck chart at somebody like uh, Lucchese and other guys like that. And I'm not sure, like, do you view that person or or those options as like your seventh uh, best options? You could probably do a little bit better. And so they're trying to do that with, I think, the Bundy situation, getting him on board. Um, this is a guy who, you know, his career year is like close to five. Like he was once a, the top prospect in baseball, at least the top pitching prospect when he was 19. The guy, I think, is like 30 years old at this point. So he's a long way from that. But like you suggested, he's a, he's a veteran guy. He's got a close to a thousand innings under his belt at the big league level. Um, he has an idea of what he's doing and you know what you're getting from him. And if you say to yourself, like, hey, we need five five innings or so or five decent innings to keep us in the game, yeah, you could kind of turn to him in that situation, and things will probably be okay for a couple of turns. Um, I'm not saying he's going to win a spot or anything like that, but you know, as a, as a stopgap option or somebody like as a depth option like we're talking about, yeah, it made a lot of sense. And it just is another example of them um, looking at just what could maybe go wrong here and trying to take preventative measures um, so that they're in the best situation possible to uh, to withstand any issues that they may that they may come across this year. You mentioned you know the star power in the clubhouse, but as you're talking, we're talking about depth. You're right, you know, much better depth up and down the roster. I mean, look at the bullpen. Let's assume this is the bullpen going into the season. Robertson, Adovino, Rayleigh, Smith, Curtis, Tommy Hunter has already been announced as making the, the team. Probably Nagosik, and I'm assuming Dennis Santana, who they just grabbed off of waivers, has a, a you know obviously another like Bundy, a top prospect that maybe they could find some some gold. Uh, you know, I I think part of what bothers the fans is that there's not the bullpen. Diaz, the star is out. It's not a lot of sexiness up and down. It's somewhat component driven. 
you know, value-driven. And I think the bullpen's better than it was last year, even without Diaz, but it's matchup-driven, and it relies on a really good bullpen management, which fortunately Buck is known for. And, and even the offense, it's an offense that, you know, walk, hit, you know, relies on a Pete home run here or there. Uh, I think some of the lack of sexiness, which is totally Buck Showalter, but just professionalism and grind it down. And, and hopefully we're right on this, you know, for the Mets' sake. But maybe that's what bothers the fans because it is a good team. But in some com- some areas, it's it's the sum is greater than the parts in some cases. Yeah, I can see that totally. Uh, the Mets lineup, for instance, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like those those Yankee years in the late '90s, um, where they had a bunch of guys who the Paul Neal types, the Bernie Williams types. Like you don't look at those guys as even Tito Martinez, for instance, right? Like you don't look at those guys as like forty home run mashers or anything like that. They were all similar in the sense where they drew they drew quality at bats. They got on base. That was a big thing for the Yankees back then. This line kind of reminds me of that in, that in that sense, right? Where like the knock on them, as good as it is, they're missing. Probably they're probably missing a power threat somewhere in the middle of their lineup. Um, it's kind of different where you have maybe McNeil batting in that fifth or sixth side, and he's a guy that's more of like a contact-driven hitter. Of course, uh, we all know that, and that's traditionally where you would see like um, you know somebody with a, maybe thirty home run capability. Um, I'm not saying that they should replace McNeil or anything like that, but I'm just the composition of their lineup is a little bit different in that sense. Um, and, it, you know, for the most part, it works, right? Like, they, they put up some good numbers last year. Obviously, we know that they struggled a little bit at times down the stretch, or a lot down the stretch, I should say. And power, to me at least, was something that was concerning when I looked at their playoff chances. And then, really, the only difference with this lineup is Omar Nervaya as a catcher, um, instead of, like, James McCann. Like, still obviously, Tomas Nito. Uh, but that's really the big difference, the only difference. And so up and down, uh, I understand that if you're looking at it and you're trying to look critically at the Mets, you could say to yourself, like, they didn't really get a whole lot better here offensively. They're still the same lineup. Granted, it's good, but it's the same thing. And so maybe you expect a little bit of regression even from your stars who had outstanding seasons. I don't know. Uh, the projections would do that because that's what projections do. Um, but, yeah, if you look at the lineup, uh, you know, you have Alonzo who could – flirt again with 40 plus home runs maybe Lindor approaches 30 um but after that is there somebody who could hit 25 is there somebody who could hit 20 home runs I'm not sure I may probably not right yeah um so like that that's one thing and then with the bullpen I think again like you you outlined it really well with what they're looking for I, I will say with like the bullpen the smarter teams like, you know, the Astros or like guys who the teams that make the playoffs consistently. And you know, I covered the Brewers, so I'll throw them in there too. They're really good at like not spending a ton of money on their bullpen and looking at it like, okay, who are the guys who could pop this year that we could find on waiver claims that we could find, you know, and, and like lower trades, that kind of thing. And, and build it from there, build, build it with, from within. The Mets didn't really, or they don't have guys heading into this year, maybe they'll change next year, but they don't have internal options that are really outstanding here, where like you have a guy at AAA, AA that are on the cusp of like really doing uh, something where they contribute in a major way. Maybe Bryce Montez Diaco was somebody like that, but he's out right now. So they had to get a little bit creative. Um, they did spend, I guess, with, uh, I shouldn't say, I guess, they did spend with Ottavino and Robertson. Obviously, they invested heavily in Diaz. But I'm saying besides that, those depth options that you were talking about, you're right. It's it, it's waiver claims. It's, it's like low trades. 
But I'd argue that that's kind of how the way to do it because it's it's what you want to invest in, and those guys are so interchangeable sometimes, and it's such a volatile position where you don't know year to year exactly what you're getting. I, I, I like the group for the most part. I would have liked it better, obviously, if they're clearly Diaz, but also uh, Krudenrod, uh, Montez Diaco, when Ridings comes back from his injury or his slow buildup, um, I like them a lot too. So there are guys who could possibly pop here, uh, but we have to see it first, clearly. Absolutely. Will Salmon of The Athletic uh, covers the Mets, joining me a few things before we wrap up. Uh, Kodai Senga. Uh, look, I loved Chris Bassett. I understand the upside of Senga. The Mets were looking at him for a while. The thing I always felt with Bassett is, yes, he struggled down the stretch, but big game. You knew you were going to get six innings, two runs out of him, maybe seven, could go deeper. And Senga, to me, has a lot of potential, but I think he's going to be a guy that maybe early he'll be bad and he'll be a lot better later on. There's a lot of ifs with him, and they really need him to be a guy that's a number three. You know, sure, you know, Bassett struggled, but he's a number three that could give you top of the rotation performances. If Senga is more four or five, Steven Matz, let's say, than he is Bassett, uh, I think the rotation is actually downgraded from last year, even though I'm not really concerned with the lack of a Taiwan Walker and things like that, because I think you could replicate that even without Quintana. So I think Senga plays a huge role in this whole thing. And uh, I've been watching him, and I think the, the jury's out about how good he is. I think he's serviceable, and he could give you good innings. But I don't really know how good he is. I still don't have a feel of him. Well, my, my take is that he's extremely talented. I just don't know what you're going to get start to start. I think the talent is there. I think the talent is, is high. I think he, he has a really good repertoire that he has uh, further developed from working with folks at Driveline and working with the Mets and signing with them. And he's changed some things um, with his pitches to get better acclimated to the ball and um, just things that will play in Japan may not necessarily play uh, over here. So he has worked to, to figure out what those things are and how he can get better. My thing is that I, I just don't know like what you're getting start to start, meaning I would ima- I will imagine that um, he has an outing where he goes maybe just three innings or so and the command just is not there. And then there's going to be outings where it's like maybe no hit stuff. I'll go, you know, I, the, the spectrum here is <laughs> varies uh, from one end to the other so much that he's almost the exact opposite of Bassett in some respects, where Bassett, you knew, hey, you're going to get what you're going to get here. It's going to be pretty good. Um, maybe he's not the scary guy that's your third starter in the playoffs, where we talk about impact arms. Maybe he isn't that type of pitcher. But for the regular season, he was damn good. And so you may miss that. And my thing is, I actually believe that the Quintana injury hurts them in that regard because they were counting on close to, you know, 200 innings or so from this guy. And maybe not 200, but nobody throws 200 these days. But you know what I'm saying? Like where it's like maybe 180 or a high number um, in this context relative to the league. And they're not going to get that from him anymore, clearly. So um, that it wasn't so much like this guy replaces this guy or like, you know, Senga replaces Bassett. It was more like you look at it, the collective whole of it. And this was how they were going to replace the innings from last year and plus add to the, to the talent. Um, because if you go and you can look at the, and you compare the compositions of both, like maybe you get more starts from Verlander than you did to Grom. Uh, maybe you get less from Senga than you did Bassett. It goes back and forth. And I thought that, Katana was a good signing because he kind of evened it all out in some respects for the Mets were tilted it in their favor going into this year where 
you add, you add a little bit of uh, talent based on what he did last year, plus the track record of being able to pitch every fifth day and, and racking up innings for you. Without that, I think the onus falls a little bit more on Sanga. They're not going to put him in a situation where they're going to rely on him in that way. I think they're going to take things very easy with him, um, or as easy as they can at this level, where people talk a lot about the age uh, of the rotation and how they're going to have to maybe utilize a six-man at times. They're going to have to utilize a six-man at times also to help Sanga. The guy is used to pitching once a week in Japan. So even though he's the youngest guy at 30 years old, not counting Peterson McGill, um, he's the one that probably needs a little bit more of like the, the support of everybody else here because he's just not used to that. So, you know, that's the way I look at him. Uh, I think the talent is there. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of can he command his stuff uh, start to start. And that to me will be uh, questionable because there's a lot of variables in play. There's a lot of things he has to get used to. And I'm, you know, in the Quintana camp, I know they say he can be back mid season, but it's an odd injury. Thankfully, he's okay. Um, and then you got the signing of Bundy, like we talked about. I just look at him like Carrasco's first year. I think it's a wash. I don't think you're going to get much out of Quintana. Hopefully, I'm wrong because I do think he's a really solid number three veteran. He pitched really well in the playoffs. Uh, but I'm I'm kind of washing him for 2023. Are you in that camp as well? I think you kind of have to a little bit. Um, you hope that it's from the Mets' perspective and for his own personal um, the health and well-being that the band is okay and he is back to doing what he does. Uh, but I don't know if you can necessarily count on it. It's way too early to do that. I feel like we got to see him, uh, you know, get back, uh, start a, you know, start a rehab process and it's, you know, setbacks happen, that kind of thing. So um, it's not something that you can really count necessarily on him coming uh, back and then you have to kind of question like how good is he going to be when he does come back, right? Um, so uh, I don't know, like from the Mets' perspective, like yeah, you you don't want to dismiss the idea that the guy is probably going to come back at some point. Uh, but I think what you're trying, what you're saying is that you can't just pencil him in for say like 75 to 100 innings of like three and a half ERA and that kind of stuff. I, that is that's getting a little bit carried away. I think yeah, absolutely. New rules. Uh... I'm surprised. I was ready to hate the bigger bases. I was ready. The shift, even I was like, I didn't love the shift, but I was like, you know, now you're you're kind of legislating the game like the NBA does, like the NFL does, NHL. Um, you know, the, the pace has been great. Let's see if it continues during the regular season. Nothing really bothers me, and I don't really think we're going to see a tremendous amount of stolen bases like they thought. Um, what are your thoughts? Anything that's bothering you about the new rules? Because so far, so good from my perspective. The only thing with me is that I hope that the umpires are – there's a, a uniformed approach with um, just being on top of it all when it comes to the pitch clock um, and, and calling it and not having games where, like, there's, like, leniency or anything. Like, we haven't really seen that at all in spring training, to their credit. We haven't seen that. I haven't noticed that at all. But to me, that just comes to my head as, like, okay, like, you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on these umpires – uh, you're, you're giving them a lot more to do, um, and they have to be on top of it for this to work and for this to make sense. That's really my my main concern with it. As somebody just watching the game, I don't mind. I, I never had an issue with like the pace of the game for baseball. Personally, I didn't really care. I enjoy the game. I enjoy thinking about it. Um, the dead time was okay for me because it allowed me to to think through some things and to notice other things and be a good observer with with what I'm watching. Uh, but 
I'm not going to argue about the idea that uh, the pace is quickened and that should make for just a crisper action and that kind of stuff. So I'm good with that too. Uh, I think that I'm on board with it all. I, I don't mind it, but just my my main concern would be just the umpire discretion on a lot of the stuff. WBC was a topic of conversation. Yeah, I know the Diaz injury, the Altuve injury. Again, I, I'm not glued to the TV with it. Uh, I understand why it can't be done another part of the year, whether it be in the offseason because of football, midseason it's clunky. Um, where are you at? Because I know that there's a lot of anger about the WBC. First, I, I say to people all the time, Mets are not going to, you know, unless it's a real serious injury risk like Marte, they're not going to stop their guys from going and playing this thing. The the nationalism that maybe some people in this country can't understand, you're, you're going to really hurt your relationship with players if you if you prevent them from going. And it does grow the game. And look, the NBA uh, is where it is because of the dream team. And I know that's not apples to apples, but uh, I think it is important if you're going to grow the game. So what is your WBC take after the dramatic ending to the uh, USA-Japan game from the other night? I'm curious to see how MLB and baseball as a whole markets the WBC in the years that it's not happening. Like these next couple of years where we're just waiting for the next one. Right, like it has to be part of like the conscious in some way. Like, sure, like it's years away, so like you can't really like go hard with it and be like, okay, it's coming. It's it's, it's not. It's, just, it's still a few years away, right? Uh, but like for me, I think this one was really, despite like you said about the injuries with Altuve and, and Diaz, and uh, even Quintana ramping up for it. Uh, despite all that, like it hooked people this year. I feel like, like it got people's attention, and I think the Otani Trout at that has a lot to do with that. Clearly, at the end, um, just keeping that interest as well. Um, but heading into it, like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is the WBC, uh, and like I'm not really all that excited about it when it, when it arrives. And then when the game starts, you're like, okay, this is pretty cool, actually. Like, you watch it a little bit, and, like, yeah, it beats watching spring training uh, game 15 or whatever in the, in the middle of March uh, where we're watching uh, AAA players, and, and most of which are not going to be able to crack the majors in, in 2023 or whatever. Um, so that can be kind of boring, but the, the games in the WBC are clearly different, so that's refreshing. Uh, but for me, it's like you got to do more to, like, market it beforehand i feel like and i think that we'll see that a lot more we'll see a better uh, uh a better direction with that um as far as like teams go like the mets um i mean the mets blocked Starley Marte from playing um because of the uh, double groin surgery and him being a little slow in his progression in spring training as we saw in the first couple of weeks and i think like so teams could like block players like if they have an existing injury or they're coming off like missing time from last year they could do that and I would expect, like, teams, and the Mets are not um, an exception here, I would expect them to, to block to block players, like, when actually that, that is the case. Like, they, they will exercise that because that's in their best interest. But they can't really stop somebody like Alonzo or McNeil, somebody like that who didn't have any injuries last year or anything that um, held them back in September or in the offseason. There's no way they could stop that. So it's... That the thing with me is that um, we're going to continue to see like stars play in this, and that should help as far as the marketing goes. All right, feet to the fire. I hate predictions because I, I'm not. I don't believe in them, but you know we're having fun mm-hmm. here. Um, look, it's going to be an interesting three-team race. Uh, I think the Mets are going to have to figure some things out. Nothing ever comes up roses. They had some really good fortune last year. Got off to a hot start. Not sure how realistic that is this year. Balanced schedule. 
I see them as a team, let's say 92 to 95 wins with some reasonable health, some reasonable performance. I'm factoring in that they're probably going to have to dip into the Vientos and Beatties and some of that pitching depth. And they're probably going to have to make a move for another starter, a bullpen arm, maybe a closer. Maybe they got to get some pop in that lineup. Um, but I think they're in a better position in some cases than they were a year ago, uh, especially in the lineup, because you know what happened with the DH spot. Uh, are you in that? I'm not sure they're a division winner. I think it's going to be tough to keep up with the Braves. And I'm not as bullish on the Phillies, but they're obviously a threat. And then you got the balanced schedule. So you're not necessarily going to be able to beat up on teams that you were beating up last year, like the Marlins or what have you, the Nats. So I see them as 92 to 95 wins. What does Will Salmon have for the 19, the 2023, 19 G's, the 2023 New York Mets? <laughs> yeah, uh, very similarly. I, I think mid nineties is a good call for, for their win total. And look, does, does it matter? Would it matter that they don't get a hundred wins again? No, I mean, I, I don't think it does. It matters what you do after that. Clearly, that's what we saw last year, right? Where they win 101 games and uh, they still fail to with, with the division and they don't make it past the first round. So, um, not to say that that was a disaster or anything like that, but it was clearly disappointing when you look at the 101 wins and they couldn't get further than that. Um, so, yeah, I think that the mid 90s is a good estimate. My pick to win the division would probably be, be the Braves, which shouldn't be a shocker to anybody. But if you look at their team, um, they have the, they're probably healthier than they were a year ago. And I've had evaluators in the, in the game who were close to watching the NLE say that for all the Mets did, like, the, the Braves adding Sean Murphy, how they added Sean Murphy was probably the best move of the, of the division. And I don't know if I completely agree with that, but that's what I, something I've heard. And if you look at their lineup, it's like, okay, yeah, this is a really, really good team again. So I, I think that, um, yeah, they're, they're a team to beat until they're not. And they, they are my pick to win the division. And honestly, I, I think I look at it the same way as far as like last year, where like the Phillies are probably – um, I don't want to say more, but they're they're very scary when it comes to the playoffs. If you if you're an opposing team, like the way that they're built with the two pitchers with Nola and Wheeler and uh, their lineup, and they're going to get Bryce Harper back eventually. They added Trey Turner, even without Hoskins. Like that's that's a really good team for the playoffs. And so the way I look at it is, uh. Go Braves one, Mets two, and Phillies three. With the Phillies probably going further again. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you got coming up? So, we, uh, will you be traveling with the team? Give the listeners an idea of what we could expect from you in 2023 at the Athletic and your team over there. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. So, uh, as people who read the Athletic know, we have two people covering the Mets in addition to our national writers. So, Tim Britton and I share the responsibilities, and we basically split the travel. So, I'll be with the team in Miami. He is with the Mets as we speak and as we uh, have this show uh, finishing up in Port St. Lucie. And so I'll be in Miami and then he goes to Milwaukee. I take the West Coast trips. Uh, so it's still a little bit back and forth, but we both uh, try to do the best we can and still provide quality content. We have a lot of stuff coming up um, in the lead up to opening day from both of us. Uh, some really fun projects uh, for me. I, I have one that's focusing on Justin Verlander that I've been working on for the past, I feel like, forever. Uh, it's only been a month or so, but it feels much longer. So I'll be eager to get that out. Um, and, yeah, leading up to opening day, like I said, we have, we'll have a bunch of stuff, and we'll be there on site in Miami, Milwaukee, and the West Coast trip in April. So you got Miami and the West Coast trip, and you gave him Milwaukee in April? That's the ultimate uh, swap over there. How'd you pull that one off? You know, Mike, he actually <laughs> offered it to me. And I was like, okay. Because he's, he's got like, a newborn. You don't want to go to Milwaukee. <laughs> like, it's, it's, the old, it's the place where you used to live. 
And like, yeah, I have friends there and it's really cool. And I, I definitely would make the most of it, but Oh, means, man, if you want to go to Milwaukee in April. Uh, uh, you, you, <laughs> you, know. you, you foisted that one on him. So you didn't want to hear any more Aaron Rodgers talk on talk radio while you're in the cab and everything like that. So. Oh, man, yeah. I, I got involved, especially with uh, the Jets situation. Yeah, it's it's, it's not great for, my, for, for me. So I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good. <laughs> All right, Will. Well, you've been very generous with your time here on a Sunday. Thanks a lot. Let's catch up during the season. Be well. And thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, anytime. Thanks again for having me. And that's Will Salmon of The Athletic. Good stuff. New guests to the show. Always love bringing new guests on. And look, we're officially into regular season mode. The 2023 Mets start in just a few days. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. I thought Will Salmon did a great job. Appreciate him coming on. And uh, wide range of topics, including the WBC as well and the new rules. And, you know, put a little bow. You know, we came into the... uh, into the spring, we thought the new rules would be such a big topic of conversation. Turned out it wasn't even. And we really didn't even talk about the WBC. And all I'll say about the, the WBC is, personally, I didn't watch much of it. You know, I was traveling this week. I had some business to take care of. So, you know, I didn't watch much of it. Uh, I can understand how other countries with nationalism make a big deal out about of it. I think it was highly rated more than maybe some of the highest World Series games in Japan. I don't think as a country we get it. But I understand the importance of it. I wish there was a way to do this where you mitigate some of the risk that comes with the players. Altuve, Diaz, horrible injuries. I mean, at least the Astros get Altuve back. The Mets aren't going to probably get Diaz back this year. And, um, you know, there's really no way around that. And is there a better time? Yeah, look, the perfect time would be after the season so that if something happens, in theory, the player could recover in time for spring training. But I don't think it's the best time from a standpoint of promoting the sport from a standpoint of competing with other popular sports like the NFL, I think the middle of the season, NHL takes a break for the Olympics, but I think that that's always dangerous. Middle of the season, about ramping guys down. I mean, could there be injuries with that? There's always going to be a risk of injury. I personally would like to take a you know a couple of weeks. You know, maybe every four years you make some kind of adjustment. Start the season a little early. Maybe you could start a week earlier on the West Coast where the weather's a little bit better the last week of March to accommodate the WBC, put it in the middle of the summer, you know, and I think the tournament might get some real juice. I mean, quite honestly, I think part of the problem here in our country is we're not ready for baseball yet. Baseball starts when opening day starts. Like, it feels like spring training. And I think that's where some of the juice, um, you know, is lacking. Now, maybe some of you guys disagree. I saw, you know, Ben Verlander over there and his podcast, he was like, you know, the number one fan of the WBC. And I don't know, maybe, you know, send me some notes on, you know, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, you know, your thoughts on, um, you know, how you viewed the WBC. But, um, you know, I maybe because it just wasn't that time of the year to get into it. Uh, and I think for some way, you know, middle of the season, it might feel a little bit different. Uh, you know, that's my thoughts. But, 
from a standpoint of the players, you know, you heard Peter Alonso talk about it, Jeff McNeil talk about it. They got some uh, early taste of postseason baseball. I always used to say how the Subway Series used to provide that in season, give the Mets and Yankees an early taste of the postseason. I thought it helped the Mets and amplified their game a little bit. You know, can that help Pete and McNeil as they go into the season? And maybe Lindor and some of the other guys that played in the tournament, you know, we'll see. Um, but the belt rings on Thursday. And and like I said to Will Salmon, and like I said earlier in the program, uh, I, I anticipate this season being a little different than last. I think the Mets are going to have to find themselves a little bit. I think the first 60 games might be rough at times. I think you have a lot of guys trying to find their way. You have a bullpen that's going to have to define itself. You got some guys like Marte coming off some serious injuries. And, you know, you got a couple of 40-something pitchers at the top of the rotation. Maybe they use a sixth starter. You know, maybe that's a Dylan Bundy. Maybe that's a Tyler McGill. Maybe that's a Buto. Maybe that's a, a Eliza Hernandez or, or Luke Casey. I mean, you can't, you can't say the Mets don't have depth. And Salmon said this. The Mets have some pretty good depth on the roster. Uh, right now, they're lacking a big-time closer. And they're not going to have that this year unless they trade for it. And and maybe you feel they're a bat short, and maybe you feel that the best bats are in AAA right now, and that's okay. And that's why this whole getting to know you phase is part of it. Getting to know the 2023 Mets is, are Beatty and Vientos better options than what they have now? Is Escobar done? Uh, is Ruff done? Uh, who is Kodai Senga? Who will become the closer in the bullpen? Wouldn't it be, you know, a couple of strikeouts today, the ageless wonder Tommy Hunter who we thought was done after he was the opener a few couple of years ago, and he he pitched three scoreless innings against Atlanta and then hurt his back, and we never heard from him again. He's done nothing but continue to show up and pitch well. Wouldn't it be a kick in the rear end if Tommy Hunter became the closer of this club and pitch well? And I think he will get chances to close some ball games. You know, I don't think he'll be the one-run guy against the middle of a, the Dodgers order or the Padres order or the Phillies order. And to me, that's one of the biggest downsides of losing Diaz is that you don't have that weapon where like last year they could bring him up in the eighth inning or seventh inning against the middle of an order of a tough team on the road. And you know, you had the best chance to get those guys one, two, three. Now you got to sweat it out a little bit. Who knows? Maybe these scrappy pickups, you know, Santana, uh, Bundy, Tommy Hunter, uh, Nagosik from last year. Maybe they, maybe they turned to something. Look, they've touted the money they've spent, the lab, the analytics, all that stuff. Let's see these guys come in and do something. I mean, it'd be real. I mean, Minnesota just dumped this guy on waivers, Santana. It'd be a real kick if this guy becomes actually a valuable part of the bullpen. Another school is sitting today, so who knows. But uh, I'm ready for the season. Uh, I know you are. And I know how's it going to work? We're going to go back to our Sunday shows. Uh, I believe we're going to check in during the week on off days. And before big series, we'll have some shows and some touch points. Uh, you know, we'll continue to look for good guests like the Will Salmons of the world to interject their, you know, two cents. And, of course, there's always books and throwbacks and history and all sorts of things. But uh, buckle up. This is going to be a wild ride. This is going to be an interesting ride. And, you know, do I think the Mets are going to make the playoffs? Yes. Do I think they're going to win the division? I'm not so sure about that. I look at them about a 92 to 95 win team, although that's what I said last year. And they won 100 games. And, I mean, look, if I had told you how much time Scherzer and, and DeGrom were going to miss last year, there's no way you would have said, if I predicted 100 wins, you would have thought I was was high on something. You probably would have stopped listening to this show. So you really can't predict baseball. Not to sound like John Sterling, you really can't predict baseball. So here's my advice. 
Stop crying about Beatty and Vientos there in AAA. That's reality. Stop worrying about Ruff and Escobar and hating on them. Let's not start getting into anti-Escobar, anti-Ruff hives. You know, we're going to start the hives now because, you know, people want their guy to be successful and their point of view to be successful. Let's just sit back, enjoy Mets baseball, kicks off at 410 in Miami on Thursday. Scherzer on the mound. Alcantara, not an easy matchup. Off the bat, the Mets get challenged. And the offense will get challenged, and away you go. So that's it. We're wrapping up the Grapefruit League. Hope you enjoyed this latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. The next time we meet will be regular season baseball in just a week, less than a week, as the Mets kick off on Thursday. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. And you can share on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to thank Will Salmon for joining us today, as well as the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network for supporting us, and the good folks over at RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Buckle up, get ready for regular season baseball on Thursday. Till then, take care, everybody. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.